Hello and welcome to the Corner 3, really the Baseline 2 post-trade deadline edition. We're post-up spot up talking all things Mavs on and off the floor. And boy, there's going to be a whole lot of basketball talk today. What a day to be a Mavs fan, to be a basketball fan, to be alive, to be right here live on the Mavs YouTube channel. Bobby Corella and Isaac Harris coming to you from Studio 41, presented by Chime at Mavs HQ, where yesterday it was an awfully busy and exciting day. We're going to get into Mavs Knicks a little later, but obviously, Isaac, we're going to start with what a, a riveting, thrilling day it was. Just how are you feeling on this fine Friday morning? Oh, I'm feeling great. Great deadline day is, I mean, it's almost like a holiday, though. So. We had a lot of fun. We were in this room yesterday just watching stuff go down and see all the reports come in. And, um, you know, the Mavs, like, they are in win-now mode right now. You have an MVP candidate in Luka Doncic just playing at such a high level. And you have, you know, you re-signed Kyrie Irving to this massive deal this offseason. He's, what, 31. You're in win-now. Like, you want, you're going for it every year at this point. And they walked away from the deadline a better team. And they have more guys in the rotation. They got bigger. They accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And now they got what, roughly 30 games to put this thing together uh, before the postseason. Mired in a, uh, quite a playoff push. Yeah. It's, it's pretty messy down in the West. Now, we're going to talk about what some of the Mavs competitors in that playoff picture did or really didn't do. You know, going into the trade deadline, we were all kind of told, hey, yeah, it's really not much is going to happen. It might be a pretty boring and quiet day, but here the Mavs are alongside the Knicks, probably the busiest team on deadline day. So Dallas is definitely going for it, man. So is this is this the best like vibes for like the fan base this season? Um, I think like, right now 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, coupled with a three game win streak yeah. and especially going into this road trip, you're thinking, man, this can be really tough. And now injuries, obviously, Luke and Kyrie's a back. Bit. Three-game winning streak. They just three-game winning streak on the road. Yeah, they're coming back home for this early game on Saturday, and they just made some big trades at the trade deadline. We'll see what they do with the last roster spot. It just feels like the vibes right now for fans online, hashtag online, everything is fun. Yeah, it's, for sure. And there's wild. a lot more excitement that you didn't even mention about this Saturday game because we could have some debuts. Right, there could yeah. be some some new Mavs taking the See floor. How physicals go today. Yeah, um, but also, dude, what's the headgear game going to look like? We got Dwight with the goggles. Luca apparently is going to get the mask. I'm not sure. Max got popped in the face again. He is did. he going to be masked? Derek Lively eventually is going to be back, and he might be wearing a mask. Like the accessory game is just like off the charts right now. I hope we get some gear in the hangar to uh, to reflect that. Oh, but yeah, I guess that's nice. for that's for maybe post All Star break. So I heard. I heard they brought Rip Hamilton in to talk to the team. Wow. I mean, that's a vet. I can't confirm. He, if anybody's been there, yeah. it's him. Yeah. It's him. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Wow. It really makes you think. Um, okay. Let's, let's, stop, let's stop the prelude, man. Let's dive right into dinner. No more appetizers. The Mavs, yesterday, they made two moves. Two, I guess we could call them big moves because they're moves for big people. Yeah. Uh, the Mavs got two guys that are bigger than me, which is pretty notable. I'm about 6'3". <laughs> Both these dudes dwarf me. Uh, let's start with, uh, with, with kind of the, the I guess, the, the biggest trade of them all. The Mavs acquired P.J. Washington from the Charlotte Hornets in exchange for Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and a 2027 20, first-round pick. 
Uh, now that pick is reportedly top two protected, which is a, a pretty unusual protection to see, but it's very lightly protected. It'll almost surely convey. Uh, the Mavs also reportedly received two second round picks in that deal from the Hornets. It's unclear at this time what year and, and to whom those picks originally belonged. But I mean, it's obviously more about them getting PJ Washington. Yeah, for sure. You know, Grant and Seth uh, go back home to North Carolina, miss those guys. Great guys. Great guys to have in the locker room. Uh, great guys to talk to. Uh, just pros, pros, you know, mm. just just solid good dudes. Uh, you know, the Grant edition was kind of a bummer. Just, you know, he chose to come here. And, um, you know, just it, there's just sometimes a fit looks great on paper and it just doesn't fully work out to what you envision it to be. And that was kind of the case for Grant. And now he gets to head home to Charlotte and, uh, yeah, be with those young guys, you know, down there. So, you know, with, with PJ, I go back to, um, I go back to last night, Nico Harrison talks to some reporters there in New York and he has, you know, basically he says, Hey, we had three goals going into the deadline. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to get bigger, which has been a thing that we've talked about over and over again about, yeah. I mean, even some of their small ball lineups that they're throwing out there is Lucas, the biggest guy on the floor. Yep. So they wanted to get bigger. They wanted to add depth in the front court rotation and they wanted to add a scoring punch to the front court. And he's like, we did all three of those. And for PJ, you know, they get he kind of checks off all three of those in one. PJ. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In a sense, you know, Gafford probably is, is more of the add depth in the front court, but you know, PJ is going to play the four and, um, probably some small ball five at, at times, you know, a little bit there, but you know, PJ is, he's, he's this unique player because he comes out of Kentucky. He's just 25 years old. He's in that 2019 draft. I was going back last night, really looking at that 2019 draft and all the guys in that draft of, you know, Grant was in that draft, Grant Williams, Grant Williams and Gafford was in that draft, yep. PJ Washington, uh, and some, you know, some other guys and stuff, but PJ is, you know, he's six seven, six eight. Played kind of in the front court at Kentucky. There played with SGA at Kentucky, uh, but he has this huge wingspan, the seven two wingspan. So, you know, I feel like I've I've watched Kentucky basketball, Kentucky, North Carolina. I'm from Kentucky, and so when you know PJ comes in there, I was watching those teams play. It was I'm I had trouble kind of like figuring out what he was going to be at the next level because he was like a big at Kentucky mm -hmm. and then he comes into the league and he's kind of like a, a, a wing, but he's like scoring a little bit more uh, in, in the league compared to what the role he's playing at Kentucky. And, you know, he's seven, two wingspan and, you know, he comes in, in to, you know, to Charlotte there and it's just a kind of, you know, Charlotte has been um, rebuilding. We want to say They've for, been going through it for, for a while, I guess, you know, post, uh, post Kimbo with that and you could say his his best season was probably last year uh you know when Miles Bridges was was out and he kind of stepped up into the you know I think as far as total points goes for Charlotte last year it was Terry Rozier and then PJ Washington uh as far as you know the scoring punch in 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 Charlotte but 6-7 he gives you you know defense on the wing he gives you that other bigger body we knew Dallas wanted to add a wing if they could at the deadline a bigger wing um, a little bit more athletic wing. He's naturally going to be compared to Grant Williams a, a little bit because they're traded for each other, kind of you know same position. And if we're just comparing those two guys, Grant is you know the better overall shooter probably percentage wise. But you look at some of the things that PJ Washington can do of taking the ball off the dribble and you know getting into the paint and having the floater and having you know finishing at the rim. 
Um, he can when he gets hot from from the outside. You watch the forty three point game and in, in January it's a million threes. Um, but he just adds a little bit more athleticism, um, a little bit more defense, rim protection, uh, playing above the rim compared to Grant, and yeah, just a a little bit more versatility overall at the at the wing spot. Yeah, I mean he uh, he's six seven six eight, so it's not like he's whatever a six ten like giant playing power forward but seven two wingspan and again being six eight in shoes is like notable uh you look at the Mavs over the last few years they're starting power fours and I I assume he'll end up starting um like eventually maybe that's I know Jake had kind of alluded to the fact that he might come off the bench against OKC tomorrow but that's because it's a 2 p.m game and they have no time to practice um so I would assume at some point he'll be the starting four but you know that's a legit height a little taller than Dorian, who was their starting four, yeah. you know, in in recent seasons, um, and a longer wingspan than Dorian. So he's the the biggest four that they've had now, I guess, in the Luca era, unless you count KP as a four. Um, but what that does is it means, in theory, now this is obviously if the fit is good and if everything works out and stuff. In theory, you're not going to be going into those games against like Aaron Gordon, Pascal Siakam, who they have two two times, uh, two more times this year. He beat the Mavs pretty good whenever he's a member of the Raptors yeah. uh, back in November and they got the Pacers twice right out of the all-star break means against those teams with bigger fours you have a guy that can at least sort of match their length their height their strength and all that stuff their level of physicality and like you said with PJ off the dribble you know his three-point shooting numbers this year are a little low for his career he's around like 36 percent 35 36 percent this year I think he's at 32 percent Although for the Hornets, uh, again, they traded Rozier. Lamelo's missed a ton of time, so there hasn't been a lot of like really high-level playmaking and table setting. Um, can can I add there. to that real quick? Yeah. And this isn't to dunk on Charlotte, mm-hmm. but you know, Nico even said a line last night, um, or it might have been Kid, but I, I wrote it down. No, it's Nico. He said, "When you have really good guards, you get really good shots." Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just something to to keep in mind with that, especially with PJ, because I'm gonna list off the the point guards that he's played with in Charlotte. Uh, when he came into the league, Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, LaMelo, Ish Smith, Teo Maladon, and Dennis Smith Jr. And for LaMelo... Well, I love Dennis. So. I know. I, I love Dennis too, but I wouldn't say uh, a lot of these guys outside of LaMelo are um, table setters, pick and roll Yeah, well, I mean, they, they don't demand the same level of attention yes. as Kyrie and Luka. And for LaMelo... They've played in 158 games together, which is roughly half of PJ's career. He's played without LaMelo, mm-hmm. and he's played with some of these other point guards. And I, I just say all that to say, now you're going to play with Luka Doncic. Now you're going to play, you know, run pick and roll with Luka. Now you're going to get more open shots because you're playing with Luka. You're playing with arguably the best pick and roll floor general in, in the entire NBA it's going to be a little bit it's going to make life a little bit easier for you. The good looks will be there, but I think what's important with the Mavs specifically and we can kind of look at this like Derek Jones Jr is a really good case study. Um at the beginning of the season he was shooting great, whatever. He was like in the mid 40s through the first 20 games or something. It's like, "Oh my god. This guy <laughs> yeah. is like what he's going to be in the three-point contest this year." Now, he has since regressed quite a bit. He's been shooting in the 20s essentially for half the season now. But what uh, Jones does is the same similar thing that Washington can do, which is if the shot, like if the pass is there, but the defense closes out, the possession doesn't just like die. Yeah. PJ can put the ball on the floor and do something with it. There's a level of like dynamicism to his game 
that has been missing from the offense whenever it's at kind of its worst uh, in its worst state, right? Like nothing against uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is one of my five Ma- favorite Mavericks ever. Yep, me too. Um, Reggie Bullock was incredible for the Mavs whenever he was here during that run. Um, and there have been other wings over the years that have that have had a, a degree of success with Luca, but yo, those guys are more specialized. 60, 70, 80% of their shots are going to be threes. With PJ, just like similar, as is similar the case with Derek Jones, if the three ball is not there, can put the ball on the floor, maybe turn his back to the basket against a smaller guy, but for the most part, he's going to face up, put the ball on the floor, and try and get two or as close to the rim as possible and do something with the ball. There should be a degree of fluidity within the offense, kind of like with Jones, kind of like with Exum, kind of like with Josh Green. Now we'll see if PJ can do it at that level Dante's been incredible at that Josh Green's been really 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 good at that Derek Jones has been really good at that at times too so I think that what we're seeing is kind of a shift in in the vision for this team and that probably would be more Nico than anybody else if I had to guess yeah uh, from a team building perspective of we don't want just three and D guys yeah we want wings that will shoot the ball or that can shoot the ball but mostly we want wings that can do something if the shot isn't there. Yeah. You know, um, so many it's maps possessions. evolution of it. It's, yeah, yeah. You're trying to like spin it forward. It's like Pokemon that evolves. Yeah, that exactly. And I saw, don't worry. I saw that comment earlier. I got two Pokemon in mind. You better not say it. I thought, no. <laughs> yeah, you better not say it because it was my idea, my original idea. But I, I think, um, you know, I think, I, I, I guess like critics of Washington's game would say that he's like jack of all trades, master of none. Because he's like a fine shooter, but he's not a great shooter. He's like fine off the dribble, but he's not great off the dribble. He's like a fine defender, but he's not a great defender. Um, but I think, you know, oftentimes guys that have been in uh, rebuilding situations or teams that might not have the most structure or whatever, they get in a, a new situation and they could thrive. Um, yeah. Or maybe you find something out about their game that you didn't know before. And I'm really curious to see what that is with PJ because he has the he has the profile of a guy that could be really really interesting playing off Luke and Kyrie. We he, just have to see if it works. He's never been on a 44 or more win team. Uh, just the the Hornets wins over the pat in his career. They have 10 wins this season. Shout out. Um, 27 last year, 43 the year before that, which is third year in the league. Best, you know, yeah. Uh, but his first two years in the league, 33 wins, and then his rookie season, 23 wins. Mm-hmm. When you're in those situations, there's a lot of bad habits that form sometimes. There's, you know, it takes a toll on you when you're not. It's also just, I mean, you just ran down the list of point guards. Yeah. You know, they've had at least two coaches, if not three, I think. Yeah, he's at Borrego and, and Steve. Clifford. Yeah, so it's yeah. just been just a lot of change and a, a, just a lot of Ownership change. change. Yeah, and I also think, too, you know, it's it's important to say um, they drafted – Charlotte drafted Washington the year after they drafted Miles Bridges. Yeah. And those guys, they have different skill sets, obviously, but they're a little bit – there's a little bit of an overlap there. They're both better suited to play the four – than they are the three or the small ball five, which Washington did play some small ball five with the Hornets. I don't expect them to do that much here, to be honest, um, no. unless the situation demands it or whatever. Probably going to be Maxi's spot. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. But, um, you know, whenever you have two guys that are trying to develop and trying to discover stuff about their game and whatever, playing with a turnstile at point guard or like a, like a whatever, a, a rotating whatever, merry-go-round at point guard, and then also hmm. – trying to find themselves while playing the same position as a guy that they also just drafted in the lottery. Like it's just kind of a weird, this is a weird situation to develop in. 
When was the last time you rode a merry-go-round? Ooh, man. Probably 25 years ago. Do, do yeah. merry-go-rounds still exist? I think if you said anytime sooner, it'd be kind of creepy. Yeah. So that's probably good. I'm not sure merry-go-rounds are even a thing. Let us know Whoa, in the comments. Oh, they are a thing. My daughter loves merry-go-rounds. Okay. All right. That's cool. She, she like freaks so out. So wait a minute. You rode a merry-go-round recently. Does that mean that you're kind of creepy? No, because I have a kid with me. Okay. What is <laughs> 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 uh so back to pj <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah or as basketball reference says 3j mm. so mm, yeah i think one of the things with him too that impressed me a lot is his touch around the basket uh 55 on floaters this year 63 percent around the rim even watching i watched too much film on him last mm, night yeah and just watching the little push shot that he has in the paint and that little floater with um, when he cuts to the, you know, I've, I just feel like we're going to see this a million times that Luca Kyrie is going to hit him. He's going to be in the paint. He's going to do that little one handed push shot. And he just has that touch. And not everybody has that touch. Like, I, I think we, um, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. is a good test case for that compared to Justin, you know, <laughs> Justin Jackson. Mm. And it's like two guys, you know, just totally two different type of players. But, you know, Dennis, I would say that touch around the basket or that floater was just difficult for him but i mean he could do a you know double 360 windmill between the legs in one dunk and you're like dude you're insane this is crazy the floater is an important shot to have in your bag uh playing with the mavs now because they will likely almost always have a and i don't mean this as a pejorative but like a non-shooting big on the floor yeah. uh so we we can kind of transition to talking about gafford now um wait can i add a little bit more about oh you, you have more pj stuff can i add a little bit more about yeah PJ? sure sorry 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 I, no. If I could go into Time Machine, Isaac, I would. Um, I want to add one. Woj said last night on his post-trade deadline thing, he added a quote about Luka. Um, if you didn't get to see it, he said he had heard from the Mavs that Luka was very enthusiastic to play with P.J. Washington. Oh, wow. Um, so that's always a good thing whenever you hear from your best player that uh, he wants to play with a guy and he's excited I guess to play positive with Woj is better than cryptic Woj. Yeah, lasered in. Luca's lasered in on yeah, playing. Yeah, he's he's PJ focused. <laughs> Momentum is building toward Luca being focused on PJ Washington. I also want to say, like, you know, I've, he's played forty four games this year, and it yes, it hasn't been the best uh, forty four game stretch of his career, but I don't. I think we can look at the overall body of work, or look at. I mean, I just don't understand when PJ's getting talked about right now from some national people. Why we're not talking about like last year. I mean, I get it. This is more recent. Forty-four games. He struggled. He's been a little inconsistent, um, and you know, to start this year. But like, you look at last year. He started seventy-three games last year. Played, you know, thirty-three minutes a game. And you look at some of his numbers on that. He's yeah, he's an average shooter, but he's pretty good. Uh, some pretty good numbers in the pick and roll. Some of his defensive numbers really good. Defends the rim really well. I think that's one of the underrated parts that we're obviously going to talk about with Gafford. That Gafford can defend the paint. He's one of the best shot blockers in the league, but adding P.J. Washington, too, that he gives you that vertical um, rim presence that would say, you know, Grant Grant is more of the thicker body, hey, I'm gonna, I can bang with you in the post, but P.J. gives you, if you have a P.J. and a Lively out there, a P.J. and a Gafford out there, you have multiple people then that can defend the rim and go up and get some blocks 
and stuff that play above the rim. And I think that's part of that versatility, part of that stuff that Nico wanted to go after. And hopefully uh, that, that athleticism will translate to better finishing around the rim on offense, better helping around the rim, like you said, but also like rebounding um, and then getting out in transition and running, you know? Yeah. Um, so adding more explosiveness and more length to this team uh, is always a good thing. I think, you know, you, you need that, especially if you're going to be covering up like Luca and Kyrie, Kyrie, obviously only six foot one, Luca isn't necessarily going to be jumping out the gym. So you want to surround those guys with length, versatility and all that stuff. Yeah. Now, PJ will have to lock it in on defense. Obviously the Hornets this year, Steve Clifford <laughs> just this week oh, yeah. put out some quotes about their, okay. uh, their ability and desire to play defense. Not so quite Steve or uh, Chris Finch, but not, but close, close and not, yeah. not quite Will Hardy, but definitely given Will <laughs> Hardy run for his money. So, you know, uh, that, that will be a process, but I don't think that's just like an individual thing. I think yeah. that's like a, a cultural thing. So hopefully that can, uh, that can improve as well. Are you ready now to change gears? Can I just give you some personal stuff about PJ real quick? <laughs> I'm right. sorry. People want to know about him. And, All right. you know, I'm sure we'll have some stuff on social stuff that where you can learn more about them and like, uh, you know, some like talents and different stuff. But, you know, he he wears 25 because his dad wore 25 in college. OK. Both of his parents played at Middle Tennessee State. And he, who do you think he credits for teaching him how to shoot? His mother. His mom. Yep. His I mother. was just going to say that. Yeah, she taught him how to shoot. He said when it, you know his shots and stuff are off, his mom's gonna be the one that's gonna okay get out. Of so it. having two D one parents, that does mean you get you get some pretty good coaching. Yeah, and they're both pretty tall too. So anyway, I just and I, he's from the DFW area as well. Of course, yeah. I'm sure most fans know that by now. But yeah, to my memory, I mean, I'm probably forgetting somebody, but I do not remember there being a local guy on the Mavs, like a guy who like Ooh. went to high school here. There like have been players that have played at like Texas colleges. Yeah. But I I don't I can't think of many guys that are that are from DFW that have played for the Mavs. Yeah, I don't know. No. I can't off the top of my head. Yeah. I'll check I'll check chat to see. Anyway, um, I'm excited for PJ to come here. I'm excited for him to get a fresh start, you know, on on a in a situation that is going for it. Like this is the first time that he's gonna be surrounded, you know, surrounded by a Kyrie Irving, a Luka Doncic um being coached by jason kidd like and going for it in the playoffs and playing at a high level like he's never played in the playoffs before so you know whether it's a playing tournament was a playoff series it's gonna be a first you know first time around for him i mean gafford i think has played in four or five playoff games mm. uh, for chicago not a ton but he, he's at least been there a little bit but do you expect pj to be the starting four I do. Three. Yeah. What, how do you? So I what's mean, what's the lineup? Probably like, not on Saturday. Let's but. just like let's hope let's huff some hopium, and assume the team is going to be healthy. What's the starting lineup? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's Luca, Kyrie, Josh, uh, PJ, and Lively. Okay. I could see a world in which it's Exum over Josh, but we'll see. I was going to say I could see a world where it's Derek Jones over Josh. Yeah. Yeah. I think on Saturday, so Kid has already said that Lively's out. So the Mavs play tomorrow. They play on Saturday at, at 2 p.m. It's an early tip-off against the OKC Thunder, uh, who made a big deal of their own that we'll talk about in a second. Did, but yeah. um, Jake had already said that neither of those guys will – or that Washington won't start. I imagine Gafford won't start either. But with Lively being out, maybe you know Gafford is going to – you better be ready to play. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that Jones is um, – 
I think Jones is probably a better point of attack defender than Josh. But Josh has been mm-hmm. playing so well lately, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's really tough. But I'm intrigued by a bench unit of Exum, Hardaway, Josh with Maxi and, and Gafford. I think that's that line of Yeah, a lot yeah of that, that would be fun. Yeah, but I, I think Jones can fit in either situation. And obviously it's not going to be like a – first off, maybe the team is just never healthy. Yeah. But, like, secondly, it's not like you're going to have your first five and then sub everybody out and make your second five. It's not hockey. Yeah. Two, thi- two things about these two guys also. Man, they play with fire. They do. Like both of these guys. We're about to talk about Gafford. Oh, and- oh, sorry, sorry. Willie Scott says a, gr- a great point. Dennis Rodman. He did have that cameo oh. with the Mavs, and he, he spent a lot of time in Dallas growing you up. You have so. an incredible Dennis Rodman Mavs shirt. I do. I do. It's a limited. <laughs> it's very rare. It's very rare. Um, both of them play with fire. Both of them have so much energy. I wrote energy in all caps uh, for both these guys. That's just going to be a lot of fun. And I put this at the bottom, and we'll talk about this with Gafford, obviously. If you like dunks, this is a fun Mavs team right now. Yep. Because Gafford can throw it down. We obviously know it lively. I mean, lively and Gafford having one of those two guys on the floor at all times. I mean, this is like Lob, lob City here. Uh, then you have Derek Jones Jr., obviously. P.J. Washington get him dunk. Josh threw down, I mean, a poster on uh, on Dante in, in New York. So, I made mean. The whole, made the whole garden just gasp, dude. Suck yeah. the air out of the building. I mean, so, like, those are five guys right there. I mean, I feel like just in my time covering the Mavs, there's been time like, dude, like, do we have anybody who can really dunk? Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, on a breakaway. And then we had Dennis. We're like, hey, this is a lot of fun. Now there's, like, five guys. It's going to be catching lobs. I mean, Luke is just going to be, like, looking at the walls and just, like, throwing it backwards. And it's like, hey, somebody's going to catch it and dunk it. One of the last two games, too, Kyrie with the alley-oop in Brooklyn. And then oh, Maxie had that driving dunk last night, yep. which was kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um. So, anyway. Yeah, so uh, uh, let's talk about Big Gafford. Dan to Dan. your point, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> Gafford is uh, <laughs> Gafford and Lively are both in the top eight in total dunks this season. So <laughs> yeah, uh, Lob City in full effect. So okay, the other move of the day yesterday that the Mavs made, they acquired Daniel Gafford from the Washington Wizards. He has also previously uh, previously spent time with the Bulls in exchange for Rashawn Holmes and a 2024 first round pick. Now they acquired that pick in a separate trade with the OKC Thunder. They gave the Thunder swap rights in 2028 for that 2024 first-round pick. So whether that matters or not, I guess we can talk about it in four years. Uh, But in the short term, the Mavs get a guy who pretty instantly becomes one of the best backup fives in the league. If I don't really know the hierarchy of that, but certainly one of the best, if not the best backup fives in the league. This is a dude that this season is averaging 11 points, eight boards, blocking better than two shots per game. Um... He, you, you talk about playing with energy, dude. He brings yeah. juice. He, he plays with attitude. It's fun. Uh, very similar skill set to Derek Lively. Obviously, they have different kind of quirks about their game, but it essentially gives the Mavs the option to, if they so choose, have 48 minutes of pretty high-level rim protection, pretty high-level individual rebounding, and pretty high-level finishing ability on the floor at all times. There's eight players this year that's averaging over two blocks a game. Wimby, Brooke Lopez, Walker Kessler, Chet, A.D., Claxton, Gafford, and Gobert. Mm. Um, you know, Gafford, he protects the rim. He's, you know, he, he gets to, not to do the whole, like, PJ spill again uh, about getting to play with Luka in your past point guards, but, I mean, did I write down his point guards that he played with in Washington? Yes, I did. Tyus Jones, Monty Morris, DeLon Wright, Kendrick Dunn, um, none. Uh, Dinwiddie, Ish Smith, Howell Neto, Westbrook. And Shabazz Napier. Um, 
a lot of scoring point guards in there. A lot of, uh, yes. I would say, I mean, my uh, obviously, you know, the the playmaking chops might not be there to the level of Luke and Kyrie, obviously. But I would say another thing that pretty much all of those guards have in common is that you can just go under on all those screens mm. because most of those guys aren't going to pull up and hit you with a three. Yeah. Um, in fact, really kind of none of them are. And that limits Gafford's ability as a role man if you're just going under too. So like, yeah. imagine now that they're going to be blitzing Luca off his screens. What is that going to look like? Well, even when you look at his as a pick and roll man, it was it's fascinating to me because you know you look at him as this, you know he's this uh, playing above the rim, you know get rebounds, defend the paint, roll hard to the basket. Luca's going to find you. Like these are his goals. All right. Yeah. Um. If he's taking jump shots, that's not part of his game. That's mm. not part of his strengths. He's but taking one three in his career. <laughs> Did he make it? No. No. Dang. Uh, but like you look at like rolling to the rim, his you know athleticism, the lobs, the dunks, all that stuff. It's fascinating when you look at some of his college numbers. When he was at Arkansas, he only had thirty. His last, his second season at Arkansas, his last season at Arkansas, he only had thirty nine possessions in which he was the role man. And I went back and looked that up because I was reading some of his draft profile stuff and I was just going back to it and it and they were saying that it how weird it was that Arkansas like they didn't utilize him in the pick and roll. And I was like, really? Like it feels like he's the natural pick and roll guy that like like if you want anybody to run the pick and roll. No. And I went back and I'm like, dang, they barely did. Now you go back, you know, you go to this year, it's twenty two percent of his offensive possessions. He's scoring at one point four points per possession as a role man. Now he gets to go and play with Luka Doncic as a role man or Kyrie Irving, whoever it is, you know, in that second unit. And, I mean, he's going to feast in the pick and roll. He's going to spend a lot of time with Luka because of the way the Mavs structure their rotation. So, you know, it might change now in light of the trades. But generally what's been happening this season is Lively will play the first about half of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And then he'll he'll – come back in and play the first half of the second quarter and kind of just do that. Right. Yeah, pretty much like six on, six off, or like eight on, four off, or whatever. Luca plays almost the whole first quarter. So Gafford will spend, I would say, a lion's share of his minutes with Luca, yeah. um, and then the rest will be with Kyrie or Exum or whatever, you know, depending on the, the health situation. But where I think Gafford really helps, too, is, you know, it's, a, it's great to have a cool backup. It's great to have a great backup. But what's even cooler is if your starter is hurt, you can put a guy in the starting lineup that is like a starting caliber player. Well, I mean, I I joked yesterday. I was like a little Spider-Man meme-ish of like looking at each other, like Lively and Gafford Mm. in the sense of, Hey, both of them are, Hey, are going to protect the paint. Both of them are going to catch these lobs. Both of them are athletic. Both of them. And, you know, I think it was kid or uh, Nico, you know, post game in New York that, kind of made the similar type of joke. They didn't say Spider-Man meme, but mm. of like, hey, he gives us a lot of what D-Live. Are they more DC guys? I don't know. We'll have to have a conversation. With okay. Um, but they were like, hey, he gives us a lot of what you know D-Live gives us in the similar mold type of center. To where, you know, if this was a, um, you know, a bigger bodied center out there uh, that are on different teams, a Robin Lopez, a Valanciunas, something, different type of center. Good, yep. good centers, but just a different type of, uh, of center. So he's... Similar in that, you know, in Derek Lively stuff. Um, yeah, their, their games are similar. Yeah. Their games are very similar. And 72% at the rim for Gafford. Yeah. I mean, if he has it underneath, he's probably going to dunk on you. And he's a big offensive rebounder. Now, they kind of let him just go loose on Washington. I saw uh, we're, we're – if you're listening in the future or watching in the future, we're doing this live on the Mavs YouTube channel. We're starting to stream more often here. So, thank you to those who are tuning in all around the world. But um, 
Christian in the chat is saying that uh, you know he he was kind of doing a lot of block hunting on the Wizards and that the Wizards are the Wizards are having a tough defensive season, you know, mm-hmm. and so are the Mavs. Um, but you know, you try and build a system around these guys to where blocking becomes their job, right? And I think Lively earlier in the season was really trying to like block every shot. Yeah, uh, it feels like he's playing a little more under control now. Um, as the defenders on the perimeter have gotten a little better, I feel like Josh has gotten better at defense as the season's gone on. Jones has been really good. Exum obviously has been pretty good as well. And so hopefully in a, in a little more controlled system, uh, you can kind of like bottle up that juice to block shots in the situations where you need it. Um, but what, where I want him to continue playing completely unhinged is chasing offensive rebounds. Yeah, The Mavs have been one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the NBA this season. Uh, Lively has been pretty good in situational, you know, at situational yeah. offensive rebounding. Um, but that's kind of it. You know, Dwight every now and then will get one of those tap outs. Um, Jones will come in for the random putback. But Gafford, in his last six games, has 30 offensive rebounds. Like, the dude is just a maniac. Yeah. Uh, and that's really, really valuable because the Mavs' strength of their team is scoring it is offense they are not a defensively oriented team no so i would say on. yeah one of the best ways to win more games is to give your offense more chances to shoot yeah you know um and what so if they i hit every shot they take well if they hit every shot then you don't need to you okay. don't need to worry about it but like if you can just send one guy a one-man wrecking crew to the offensive glass to get more chances for your for your shooters for your superstars hey that's fantastic I would love that. Do that more often. Yeah. Uh, and now he is a very good defensive rebounder. Now, one thing that's notable about both Gafford and Washington is that they come from the Hornets and the Wizards, who are both bottom five rebound percentage teams. Um, it's important to stress here, rebounding is not a one-man job. You could have the no. best rebounder in the NBA and still be a bottom five rebounding team. Um, where this will help the Mavs... Rebounds matter. Rebounds do, uh, rebounds do matter. Uh, preventing the opponent from getting offensive rebounds matters a whole lot, you know. Um, where that will help is Luca is a pretty good defensive rebounder. Um, you know, the Mavs have a little more size now to where Washington yeah. can maybe put a body on a body. Gafford can certainly put a body on a body. And so you have two guys out there at all times, Luca and Lively or Gafford, uh, maybe even Washington in there who are like six, seven, six, eight in Gafford's case, seven or six, 10, six, 11. Lively's case, seven feet, seven, one. Both of can, them, seven, two, seven, three wingspan. Yeah, and they can, okay. all those guys can jump. You know, yep. and so you have a little more of a presence on the defensive glass uh, and also a, a much, much bigger presence on the offensive glass, which is a really, really good thing. And he's a mover, too. He, he has a lot of energy. I mean, you look at some of his cutting numbers, um, great. You look at some of his numbers in transition, great. That means he gets out and runs. Like, he's not going to stand there. When a big man has some good numbers uh, when it comes to cutting, that shows me that you move, that you're not going to be standing around. And when you play an offense, now sometimes if you move out of the spot you're supposed to be in, Luca's going to yell at you. Mm. Be like, get in, your, get in, <laughs> get in the sport. Uh, but that's less so the case now, though, because they have more guys that can dribble. Before, it was true. like, Reggie, yeah. you have to stay in the corner because that's, that's your job is to shoot corner threes. Yeah. You know? So, can I give you some random stuff about him real quick? Uh, yeah, real quick, though. I want to shout out uh, an, another DFW Maverick, Darren Williams. Eric in the chat says, of course, Dar- Darren oh, Williams. Oh, how did we forget him? Yeah, I just completely forgot about D-Will. That's my bad. I knew that I was forgetting, guys, you know? Yeah. I just knew it. Shame on you. 
I, it is shame on me because the colony is like adjacent to Louisville. This is where I grew up. I should have this beat totally covered. Dirty Lou. He played football growing up. He was a wide receiver. That's scary. Um, you'll Dude. enjoy this one, though. In high school, he was in the marching band. Really? He played the clarinet and the drums. Wow. Dude, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Cla- I cannot en- um, envision like a 6'8", 6'9", guy in high school playing the clarinet. I could see him playing the drums, though. I'm going to have to talk to him about that. Write that one down. Let's write down the Cat, clarinet. Cat, mark that. Chopper, mark it. Let's just have a clarinet handy whenever uh, we talk to him. You know, uh, like one one good thing about the clarinet is that a lot of times uh, in, in high school, they, they're tuned to B-flat, just like a trumpet. So you got a B-flat clarinet and B-flat trumpet, which means you can just read each other's music. There's no... Um, I mean, I could keep talking about it. But Do you want to give the Pokemon... I mean, it feels like it's a really natural moment here. To it is. It is. The Pokemon. Yeah, it is. So, uh, so somebody right at the beginning of the show said, uh, if, if Gafford and Washington were Pokemon, what Pokemon would they be? Now, I thought really long and hard about the PJ one. That one was really tough, and I'm sure there's a better one than the, than the one I came up with. But my, my competitive Pokemon heads will know. Uh, Daniel Gafford is Don Fan. Daniel Gafford is Don Fan. Um, Don Fan can set hazards at one end. He can remove them at the other. He's big and bulky and ferocious. Um, Daniel Gafford is Don Fan. Now, PJ, I think, is Mian Chow. Mian Chow. Yeah, I told you Mian Chow before this. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Um, PJ is Mian Chow. Mian Chow is pretty fast. It's pretty strong. I wouldn't say it's a supercharged, like, speed demon or, like, you can't just sweep with me and Chow, but in the right situation, it can be extremely effective, and it also is a really good glue that can kind of hold the team together. You can put a lot of different stuff around me and Chow, and it, and, and it can be functional. So back to basketball. Um, <laughs> You're the one that transitioned to marching band, dude. I know. Well, I was saying something like Gaffer, and I was like, well, if there's a time to talk about Pokemon, let's just keep it in the marching band segment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, this is... we we got bigger we got more defense and i think one of the cooler things about it is they're both 25 it's like you start looking at now when you start looking at the roster and you're like all right we're going for it it feels like we got better but we also have a good collection of dudes that's under 26 years old and it's not like hey we went out this deadline we had to over you know overpay for you know, guys that are 36 or 35 and which is like, Hey, I get it. You're going for it and all that. But it's like, you're kind of like threading the needle of like accomplishing both of like, Hey, we got some, we're still youngish, you know, we're still mid twenties adding these guys and, um, two areas of need in Gafford and, and PJ. Now that when we start looking at the rotation, you start looking at, you know, the versatility. I think that's the biggest thing of this, of, you know, different, who's going to play the five. It could be, you know, the that fifth spot in the rotation, if we think it's lively, PJ, Luca, and Kyrie, it's like, oh, it could be Exum, it could be Derek Jones Jr., it could be, you know, it's like keep on going down the line. But it's like it's more than just the depth when people are hurt. Now you have versatility for these matchups. Um and yeah, you gotta have size when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, and it, it does uh one other very important thing. Um your center rotation is pretty solidified now, yep. which is good. Um but it also means that Maxi can play power forward a lot more now, yeah. which is really, really good. Um, 
I love Maxi as a small ball five in situations. Start started last night at the five. Yeah. Uh I don't love Maxi as a full time five. I really like Maxi as a four that can defend the back line, swoop over, get a couple blocks, um, or be in a be more in a kind of system where he can step out on the perimeter and switch. You know, if you're the five man and you're switching and guarding guards and you get beat, you're doomed. There's nobody else. If you're the five man, you step out on the perimeter, dude takes your shot, uh, y'all are doomed because now your tallest guy boxing out trying to get a rebound is like six five or six six. So having Maxi play next to Lively or play next to Gafford um, or have PJ be out there with Maxi means you have more height and more size on the back line to where if Maxi's far away from the rim, you still have a rebounder. And also if Lively steps out on the perimeter, you have Maxi at the back line to try and defend the rim and try and get rebounds as well. So just having more size throughout the lineup is really good. Yeah. Um, Christopher Jones, I'll play you one-on-one. Oh yeah, I mean, I I saw his. I've played uh, I've played basketball at twenty four hour fitness before. All right, I have an extensive athletic history. <laughs> I've played ultimate frisbee in the Durham Middle School parking lot, buddy. All right, you're talking to an athlete. I'm an a- underneath this hoodie, like two percent body fat. I'm chiseled. Like even Miami Heat players are jealous of me. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, Okay, do you want to move on to Okay, so we're we're going to visit what happened last night at Madison Square Garden at the end of the show. Do you want to move on to some other teams around the league and what they did? Yeah, cuz I, I I thought it was a really you know, I think Barkley said, you know, Charles Barkley said last night uh, on the TNT broadcast, he was like, "Man, if I'm a Mavs fan today, I'm I'm really excited." You know, I, I, you know, it's it's been it's cool here and, you know, it's wild that both the teams played each other, Knicks and Mavs. It feels like a lot of people like hey, Knicks and Mavs are kind of winners of trade deadline day, and they they played each other uh, last night. But I think one of the parts that makes the Mavs a winner from yesterday is the lack of big moves that happened throughout the Western Conference yesterday too. Yeah, um, and the Mavs did give up first round picks for their guys. The Knicks did not. However, the Mavs gained second round picks, which is pretty cool, and they still have two to trade this summer if the pick to New York conveys like we all expected to. So. Um, both the Mavs and the Knicks made big additions without going quote unquote all in. So let's look around some Western conference teams that are ahead of the Mavs in the standings. And then one team that I guess all three of these teams are ahead of the Mavs in in the standings. Three teams currently in the top six in the West made moves to try and get better. Uh, one of them we're going to see tomorrow. Now, will this guy play or not? I'm not sure, but OKC acquires Gordon Hayward in a trade with those same Charlotte Hornets. In exchange for Trey Mann, our old friend Davis Bertans, and Vasily Micic. There might have been some picks involved in that, too. I, I don't remember. Um, it is not really relevant. Gordon Hayward, um, we kind of know what he can do. He's been around for a while. Now, that's a, that's a player who's obviously struggled with his fair share of injuries over the last few years. Uh, but whenever he's on the floor, can be a very dynamic wing. Good shot creator for himself, for others in the mid-range. Um, you know, pretty good shooter. Good connector. I feel like he could really fit in with what OKC wants to do. Yeah, I like this move for for OKC. You know, they're a younger team, and you know, the, obviously they're win win now right now. They're the top of the Western Conference, and um, you know, I think for them, I haven't seen any of their post trade deadline uh, comments or quotes or anything, but I would assume for them, they want to add some some vet experience to the team. I mean, Hayward has uh, I think it's twenty nine thirty uh, playoff games under his belt. He's 33 years old. He shoots 36% from three. Um, you know, I don't know the exact role he's going to have on the team. I would assume he's going to come off the bench 
uh, but you're adding a guy to your rotation that can knock down the open shot, that can create a little bit for himself, but he can be like, hey, I've been there, done that. Like, I've, I've been in the playoffs. I've been in multiple More series. playoff games than their entire team combined. <laughs> That's wild. So, uh, I think it was a solid move by them. And, I, you know, as far as what they gave up and everything, I thought it was, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer for them. Expiring deal, too, you know, financially. So, um, unfortunately, yes, you know, thinking about other Western Conference teams, I think they got better. Yeah, I think OKC got better, and it, it helps them, too, in a playoff setting, not only with his experience, but also you can put him at the three or the four. Probably not the five, but you have Chet to play five. So, like, OKC is going to have shooting all the time. Yeah. And, you know, Josh Giddy is kind of like the, the weak shooting link in that offense, and Hayward can just slide in and do a lot of what Giddy does as a, as a playmaker, but then also step out and hit those threes. Yeah. So it makes them much tougher to guard situationally, which is... Health has always been an issue with him recently. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is they don't need him to be I healthy. I know, that's the thing. It's like I mean, I, well, they would prefer it, but... You, you know, know if they, for them, it's just like, hey, can we just make sure you're healthy come playoff time? So. Yeah, yeah, no, great move by OKC. Um, another contender made what I thought was a really good move. That's two years in a row now that the Minnesota Timberwolves have made a, a, a nice little move to add some veteran playmaking and composure to the offense. They get Monte, Monte Morris from the Detroit Pistons in exchange for SMU's very own Shake Milton, Troy Brown Jr., and a second-round pick. Isaac, the Wolves have been hunting for, so to speak, for a backup guard for what feels like a long time now. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a solid, underrated move. That happened a few days before the deadline. Um, Detroit's been a weird situation for, for Monty Morris, and uh, now he gets to go to Minnesota, yeah, and be a, be a backup point guard to, to Conley. And, you know, they might be trying to rest Conley and make sure he's you know, good to go come playoff time. So he's probably going to get a decent amount of minutes there. And on a win now team, I mean, you go from one of the, the bottom, the bottom team in the league to one of the top teams in the league. So for a vet, he's what, 28, 29. So uh, I thought it was a good sneaky move for Minnesota. I wouldn't say it's like earth shattering or, hey, Monty Morris is going to, you know, take him to the finals. But they needed little moves around the edges, and I thought it was a good move. Yeah, they didn't need earth shattering. Now, this is where – this could come into play because if you look at the standings right now, if the Mavs make the playoffs, there's a decent chance they're going to play either OKC or Minnesota like in the first round. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Minnesota this season has one of the best records in the NBA. They have one of the best, if not the best defensive rating in the NBA. Like they're really, really good. But there's a gigantic chasm in their playmaking whenever Conley's either hurt or on the bench. And that has really sprung up in fourth quarter situations because – you know, whether it's guys that are just inexperienced or that are inefficient with the ball, a little too turnover prone, whatever. Monty Morris has for years been one of the best assisted turnover guys in the league. Um, he's a very good mid-range shooter, has expanded his range out to the three-point line a little bit, but just veteran know-how and savvy is what Mike Conley provided them last year, which helped them get into the play-in um, and then has taken them over the top this season, pushed them over the top this season, and Morris just gives even more of that to them. Um, so you have some veteran leadership, some poise, composure, playmaking chops at the head of attack for, for Minnesota. I think that's really good for them. So a um, little annoying that they made that trade. But, yeah. hey, you know what? I like when teams get better. I like when teams get better. Do you? I like when most teams get better. Okay. Now this next team that got better, the Mavs still get to play them one or two more times this season. I don't remember. The Phoenix Suns, mm. they get Royce O'Neal. We all know and love Royce O'Neal from we his get time. Another home matchup with Phoenix. Yeah, coming right out, right outside the All Star like, break. Yeah, uh, Royce O'Neal. But then also, all time Mavs nemesis, David Big Body Roddy. 
a dude that just careers every single time he goes up against Dallas. The Suns are really loading up to stop Luka and the Mavs down the stretch this season uh, in a, a complicated three-team trade. The, the Suns gave up a bunch of rotation pieces. Um, the Grizzlies get a first-round pick swap for Roddy, which I thought was pretty good. And I, I do like Chemezi Metu's game. He and I go way back uh, to, to the OG days of our, our, our streaming experience. I could be wa- waving him. Oh, they could be. Wow. Okay. Uh, Isaac, what do you think about what Phoenix did? Oh, solid. You know, Royce O'Neal, I mean, becomes one of their, you know, when, when you have three big salaries on your team, obviously, and, you know, you're really limited for what you can do financially to fill the roster around them. They've kind of struck gold with Grayson Allen. I mean, he's had, he's, dude, I was looking at his three point shooting last night. He's like 61, 62%. But yeah, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hadn't had Royce O'Neal to that. Even you know David Roddy, I think's underrated for them. But you know they shipped out a lot of bodies in that deal. But they unfortunately up, upgraded some of their you know rotation pieces in that, and they've been playing pretty good basketball. So yeah, that was a solid move for them. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a playoff situation, the Suns could roll out a pretty decent lineup. I would say of Booker, Beal, Katie at the five, Grayson Allen, Royce O'Neal. Yep. Like sounds pretty annoying to have to slow down cool yeah sounds pretty annoying guys I mean, we'll get to see them we'll get to see them soon just said i like when teams get better so i said i like when some teams i like when most teams get okay, better okay. of course the mavs and the suns are major rivals so we have to performatively hate them <laughs> uh a few teams around the mavs and the standings did not i would say get better or i guess they did not make any trades um namely golden state warriors the la lakers the sacramento kings um, now one team that did make a trade, uh, that's immediately beneath the Mavs in the standings, but it wasn't necessarily to get better. I guess, uh, the Utah jazz ship out Kelly Olenek and Ochai Baji to the Toronto Raptors in exchange for Otto Porter Jr. Kyra Lewis Jr. And a 2024 first round pick. That's really the only move made in the standings between Dallas and like the very bottom. So what do you make not only of what Utah did, but also the inaction of some of the the other immediate teams around them in the standings. Yeah, you know, I think it was the you know last week maybe on the corner three, which comes out Fridays, um, or maybe the week before we did the whole um, hey, what teams in the West do we not want to get like significantly better or add a big piece at the trade deadline, or we hope their phone doesn't work and it's like unplugged uh, on trade deadline day, and you know. I, I think I said the Lakers. You said the Kings. I said the Kings, yeah. Um, Austin said the Thunder, and the Thunder did get better. Yeah, so that's true. Shame on you, Sam Presti. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you start looking around, and it's like uh, there are rumors about the Pelicans upgrading, swinging for a bigger deal. Um, you know, does this <laughs> – these teams could already be good enough <laughs> and be fine uh, for sure. So, they might – you know, they obviously don't think they, they needed to trade in that. But when you look at teams around Dallas, like Sacramento not doing really anything, um, like anything big or significant, I thought was a big deal. Um, you look at Utah, they also traded Fontecchio, you know, a few days yeah. before that. That was um, a very surprising move, too. Yeah, and, and he'd been playing a lot for them. So, you know, you take, you know, the three guys from Utah and they ship them out. They're, did they get worse? Like, I don't know how to say that, but like, I don't know. it's kind of if you want to do the. What I, I don't think that it necessarily increases their chances of passing the Mavs in the standings. That's I guess. the best way. I to mean, say they that. could still catch fire, and you never know about injuries or whatever. But like, yeah, yeah. And then Golden State and the Lakers obviously standing pat too, and uh, not doing a ton. So, 
Yeah. Those were very surprising to me, man. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very surprising. Very surprising in that. So if you're in the camp saying, man, I really like there's a world in which some of these trades that happened um, that really increased. You, you look at the East, like OG going to New York. Yeah. Siakam going to Indiana. I feel like, you know, I feel like there was an, another one in the East I, can, I thought was a little bigger. I mean, I guess James Harden coming to the Clippers a while back is a bigger one. But you look at, I mean, we could very well be looking at it and be like, OG going to, you know, this team, and it's the Western Conference, and we're like, dang it, or Siakam going to, like, a Sacramento. We're like, man, what, okay, these are bigger names coming to the Western Conference. Yeah. And that, Terror was here to the Heat probably is what you're talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, so, you know, that didn't happen. So, yeah. It's a good day. It's it's good. Once again, doesn't doesn't mean that hey, because X team didn't make a trade that they're not gonna beat Dallas or finish above. And the Dallas. Warriors just curb stomped the Pacers last night, dude. Yeah, and once again, like the Warriors and the Lakers, they I mean, I'd say the Warriors probably more than the Lakers. They have a lot of guys that's been there, done that. That if you tell me in two weeks that they've totally just flipped the switch and they're on a winning streak, and those guys are playing good basketball, I'm not gonna be fully shocked. So. It's not that Dallas can set back and just chill because these other teams didn't make any bigger trades, but it at least makes you feel a little bit better that they didn't swing for the fences. One notable thing about the Warriors, they did, again, just like I said, they beat the, the Pacers pretty good last night. The Warriors have the second easiest remaining strength of schedule in the Western Conference. The Mavs have the third easiest remaining strength of schedule in the Western Conference. And those two teams play each other three times between March 13th and like April 5th. Mm -hmm. So... Those games are going to carry some weight, Isaac. They are going to be big, big, big games. All right, so let's transition big, to the big, East. Big, big. The other team that, quote-unquote, won the deadline, the New York Knicks. How about the Knicks swinging big, getting more scoring off the bench, Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks in trades with the Pistons. Feels like the Knicks and Pistons have made about 500 trades in the last, like, 36 months, 24 months. Yeah. Um. They give up Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Malachi Flynn, Ryan Archidiakono, and two second-round picks. So, again, the Knicks add two really, really polished veteran scorers that's given your bench like 25, 30 points a game on a nightly basis without giving up any first-round picks. I really, really like the bogey pickup for New York. Yeah, I thought the Knicks did a pretty good job. I mean, they made all these additions, even going back to OG uh, over the past month. Um, didn't give up a single first-round pick. I mean, a lot of people's pointed that out, but – still setting on a, a ton of first but yeah i mean the knicks are are prime for a playoff run right i mean they have a, a solid rotation especially if they get mitchell robinson back uh jb still you know obviously leading leading the leading the way there uh they're well, dante divincenzo is leading the way dude dude he's balling right now yeah. uh, they got to get healthy and you know i'm sure they will but yeah i mean it's solid i mean Boyan's a, a awesome addition for him gives him more offense you know when jb's off the floor especially when jb and randall's not on the floor they kind of struggle with that Boyan can give him some and i actually don't mind alec burks i think he's a i think he's a solid rotation player uh so yeah i, I really liked what new york did yeah i mean new york now coming out of this deadline again you wave your magic wand and they're all healthy one of the best eight nine ten man rotations in the league we'll see how tibbs uses it he's not much of a yeah. he's not much of a ten man rotation guy uh, the Mavs also, I feel like, have a really good top ten too. So that's yeah. that's nice. But yeah, the Knicks, the Knicks really went for it. But they, uh, like we said, they didn't give up any of their first round picks. So the next super big name that becomes available, you know, the Knicks name will be attached to them uh, yeah. forevermore. 
Um, one other uh, kind of trade of note in the East, Philly goes out and gets Buddy Heald from the Pacers mm-hmm. uh, in exchange for Marcus Morris Sr., who I believe or r- reportedly has been or reportedly will be um, waived. Furkan Korkmaz and three second-round picks. So the Pacers, uh, they gave up some ones to get Siakam. They get some twos um, for Buddy. Now, they they ended up getting Doug McBuckets. So yeah. They kind of replaced Buddy shooting in yeah. a way. Um, but the Sixers get Buddy. The Sixers desperately need some shooting, and they desperately need an injection of offense for however long Embiid is out for. And uh, Buddy definitely could could do those uh, both those things for them. Yeah, uh, this was interesting to me when it when it happened, uh, just because I'm like, hey, you know, and, and you know, I guess there's some money stuff, and you know, what they want to do this summer, with some of these contracts that's you know uh, running out. But I just feel like this is destined. Um, I feel like this is destined for a Buddy Hield uh, hits like six threes in a playoff series against Indiana, and mm. Mm. it's like, oh, we just traded him there, and I think he'll fit great in Philly. Philly's it's tough because you don't know you know Embiid's timetable and all that, but anytime you can put shooting around Maxi and Embiid, I think it's solid. And I I kind of don't understand the you know some of the discourse around Buddy because it's like we always I feel like teams always need forty percent three point shooters, mm-hmm. and he's literally one of the best shooters in the league. So I think he's going to be be great in Philly. I'm curious to see how they use him. Um, now obviously this is all kind of a weird situation for as long as Embiid is out, but. Do you start Maxi and Buddy? Because then that's kind of two guys that teams would, I guess, go after um, when, whenever they have the ball. But, dude, Maxi and Buddy on offense, you don't want to talk about just two guys flying around, letting it fly from anywhere. Maxi goes to the rim harder than just about anybody else in the league. Like, that is going to be a chaotic offense. Um, and it's going to be tough. Now, that's notable because the Mavs still play the Sixers one more time. Uh, I don't believe Embiid will be back by then. I'm not sure on that. The Mavs play the Pacers two more times, so you don't have to worry about Buddy, who's had a lot of big games against the Mavs, but you do have to worry about McBuckets and and some other guys too. So uh, we'll see how it shapes out, shakes out. Now, the final move that we're going to talk about is not so much the move itself is significant. Um, it's representative of one of the biggest themes to emerge from yesterday's trade deadline, which is like the buyout market is going to be really, really competitive. Now, I want to preface this by saying usually the buyout market is competitive, but this year it was thought that that might not be the case because of the new CBA rules limiting teams that are above either the first or the second apron from signing players that were bought out on contracts that were more than the mid-level exception. That's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo, but basically a lot of the top teams can't sign a lot of the top free agents to be, right? Yeah. Um, now, the, the most notable move yesterday involving one of those guys who came between the Nets and the Raptors – uh, the Raptors send Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young to the Nets in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, obviously a former Mav. The Mavs just saw him in Brooklyn the other night. The Nets did not trade Dorian, by the way. That was kind of one of the surprising moves yeah. or non-moves of the day. But uh, Dinwiddie reportedly has been or, again, will be waived by the Raptors. This buyout market, a lot of the teams, I'm talking a lot of the top teams, teams like the Nuggets, teams like the Clippers, the Warriors, um, the Celtics, there's like there's like seven or eight teams or maybe even more that are unable to sign these guys, but there are a whole lot of teams that can sign mm-hmm. these guys. And so the buyout market, I think, is going to be super-duper ultra-competitive. Another guy joining the list, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and, and there are more too. 
Yeah, and it's even, you know, to your point where you're saying, it's even bigger than the buyout market because so many players got waived, um, you know, yesterday. So Killian Hayes. Yeah, example. Killian Hayes got James you know, Booknight got waived too. Yeah, a bunch of different dudes that got waived. I almost need like a list and like there's just random names uh, popping up saying, hey, this player's going to get waived. Uh, which, you know, the wa- wave, waiver process is a little bit different because player gets waived, team with cap space can, you know, pick them up, pay the rest of that money, all that stuff. Yeah. We're going to see, you know, guys over the next, you know, few weeks um, get bought out, which is, you know, when a player kind of works with the team, you get X amount of money left on your contract. Hey, let's let's figure out a number uh, that's typically not, you know, the full number mm. uh, and then say, hey, I'll, I'll sacrifice a little bit of money uh, if you'll pay the rest of this out and then I can go play for somebody. So we'll see more names get added to this pool of of kind of free agents out there and. Some of these names could be bigger names, and we'll see. You know, Dallas has an open roster spot, so we'll see what, you know, I think it was uh, Nico was smiling last night when he was asked about, you know, if he's done. He's like, I'm always looking for a team to get better. And, um, you know, Jason Kidd was talking about adding two, maybe three players right now. So I've seen, you know, fans get excited about that, adding, adding another guy. So we'll see if that happens soon. We'll see if it happens in the coming weeks. Yeah, so to give a quick rundown of the state of play for the Mavs, right now they have one open roster spot. Um, you can carry 15 players on you know, full NBA contracts. The Mavs have 14 right now, so uh, they could go out and sign somebody. What's the, what's the date deadline again for everybody? I believe March 1st okay. is the day where if you are not on a team by March 1st, you can still sign with that team. You just yeah. can't play in the playoffs. So generally speaking, March 1st is kind of like the deadline day for that sort of thing. So to your point, it could be a slow-moving cycle because there's about three weeks between now and March 1st. But also these teams are going to want to get these guys in as soon as possible, and the All-Star break is kind of a very natural point for that to happen. The Mavs last year um, ended up getting Justin Holiday on the buyout market, so there is kind of a precedent for them to get buyout guys before they got Peja Stojakovic as a buyout guy the year they won the championship, and there's David Lee was a buyout player for them one year. So uh, they do frequent that market. Um one interesting thing about the Mavs' situation is they have a little more wiggle room um, because they didn't use their full exception, the, the, their full arsenal of exceptions this summer. They have a little more money to offer than some other teams. Um, they have, I think, something like up to five and a half million dollars or something like that. But they can give like somewhere between like two and three, I think, before they get to the luxury tax. And you want to stay. This is not copium. You want to stay below the luxury tax if you can, because if you're a repeat offender, then the penalties become harsher. So I think the Mavs will probably try and remain under the tax, um, but they do have a little more money to offer than some of their competitors. If when you look at the roster and the rotation, is there like a position that you're like, hey, it would make sense if they went out and say, you know, whether it's a wing, a big, a guard? You know, I don't know. Um, I th- I think that they. Um, we see the drop-off in playmaking whenever Luka or Kyrie are out, obviously. Uh, we also see a drop-off in playmaking whenever Exum is out. Mm. I think you can never have enough playmakers. Um, so I would say it would be really cool to get a guard in here. Mm. Um, it would be really cool to get a guard-sized player that can defend guards in yeah. here uh, that can run a little bit of offense just in the event that Luka's out or Kyrie gets in foul trouble or you know if Exum has a lingering issue that prevents him from playing like – you need more playmaking. Um, I don't want to be in a situation where you're going into a game and your only playmaking options are Luca and Jaden Hardy off yeah. the bench, and like that's it. Um, that's opening yourself up to a lot of 
very difficult situations. Yeah. Um, so I think the more playmaking, the better. Um, I think they have plenty of wings. You could always use more. Uh, I think they have plenty of shooting. You can always use more. But again, I would prefer more of a playmaker than Probably a, a playmaking than a wing. Yeah. If yeah. If you know, but beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even sure what kind of players are going to be on the market. So I, I don't really know what to expect. What about you? Yeah, I'd probably say that that are a wing. I think you know, I don't I don't think adding a big right now, you know, getting Gafford, you have lively Gafford, um, Dwight, Maxi, small ball fives, you know, with with a PJ out there. So um I don't think I I'd probably go the big route. Yeah, I think it's another another guard. Um just considering the injuries we've had in the backcourt and but I'm all also like you can never have enough wings, like you said. So yeah. I'm always in the camp of like you can never have enough six six to six nine wings. So mm. if there's one of those two, I get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, right now we're still streaming on YouTube. Again, if you're watching this in the future, we stream this live on the Mavs YouTube channel on Friday morning, the day after the trade deadline. More than 260 people are in here right now, vibing out in the chat. I'm sure not all of them have been with us the full time. So Isaac, before we talk about what happened at Madison Square Garden last night, can you give uh, a couple quick takes again on the Mavs acquisition of PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford? Yeah, I think, you know, I go back to kind of what I said at the very, very beginning. Luke is an MVP candidate. Kyrie Irving's 31. He's playing at a high level right now. You're going for it. When you are at this level and your two stars are at that spot, you are in win now. You want to go for it every year. And walking out of this trade deadline, I get you gave up assets in the future and all that stuff. Walking out of this trade deadline, can you say that the Mavericks are better and that they helped um, fill some of the holes that they wanted to fill? Yes, you can say that they accomplished that. They got bigger. They got better defensively. They added you know, depth to their front court rotation and Gafford. They got bigger at the wing position and adding P.J. Washington. So, And at the same time, I think the added bonus to that is what I was saying a while ago. They're still just 25. Like You added both these guys. You got better and they're 25, so there's room for them to grow. And they're both, we haven't even mentioned this yet, they're both under contract for three, you know, two more seasons after this Yeah, and year. Washington's is declining in yeah. scale, which is really nice and they're you know they're they're not ridiculous contracts either to where you're sitting there trying to like justify it you know saying all right this player makes x amount of money and all right well it's not ideal but yeah great contracts you know they're under contract for a while so it's not like hey you get 30 games and then you gotta try to keep them here and all that stuff and they're younger guys so i'm excited for i'm excited for both of those guys to go from um the wizards and the hornets both teams that are struggling this year to now playing on a team that has higher expectations and that you get to play with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And we've seen what it's done for some of these younger guys here playing with a guy like Kyrie that so many of them have looked up to and seen, you know, have some big moments. Now these guys get to come in and play with Kyrie Irving um, and just have him as a leader for those guys. So I'm excited for both those guys. I'm excited for the Mavs. Luka seems excited to play with PJ and have another lob option in Daniel Gafford. So it should be fun. Now they just got to put it together. It's going to take some time. You're going you're adding two, you know, two pieces that both these guys are going to play. It's not like you added somebody and you're like, all right, we'll see how it shakes out and yeah. see what type of role they have. Yeah, they're going to be getting like 20 plus minutes. Yeah, they're going to play a lot and they should. Mm. And it's what it's what the Mavs needed. So uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah. And if you uh, want to go back and and listen or watch because we have uh if you're listening to the audio only version or if you're streaming on youtube whatever if you want to go back and watch 
this. Uh, it will be on our YouTube channel later today. Cat uh, and Chopper prepared some graphics and some videos for us um, to, to accompany our expert analysis. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, our, our decent analysis. <laughs> our non-athletic analysis. Uh, okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's wrap up here with, with some thoughts about last night's game. So the Mavs go into Madison Square Garden. Now the Knicks were very shorthanded, but that did not stop the Mavs from celebrating on the bench as Luka and Kyrie put on a show, and they eventually... I mean, they were up like 10 or 11 points the whole game, but we kept getting told, man, this is such a close game, guys. The so Knicks weird. keep fighting. The Knicks are just fighting so hard. They are the main character, but the Mavs walk out with a 122-108 win. They have now won three straight games. They sweep this road trip. I mean, Luca just, I mean, enter, entertainment Luca in New York City in the garden. He had the behind-the-back pass. You've seen a little bit go if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, with some highlights and stuff. I mean, the behind-the-back pass to Dwight was just absolutely insane. Um, some of the threes that he was making last night, and it's just like, all right, you're in the, you're in that zone. Then uh, rivaled but, only by Dante. <laughs> yeah, but but it's like th this is what you got to do if you're a good team. You got to put away you know games like this. You got to put away teams like this that are so shorthanded. And it's like you have no business losing this game. Um, so they went in, took care of business. Um, you know, Luke had 39 and 11, uh, eight boards, uh, in this game. So, um, you know, I'd say that's the, that's a, yeah. DiVincenzo obviously it's like, dude, like he's on a heater right now. He's out of his mind. And Josh Hart <laughs> got really hot in the fourth quarter too. I mean, yeah, the Knicks, he did. yeah. The Knicks made, I think six of their first eight three point attempts in the fourth quarter, Oof. uh, which I guess the only downside to that, I mean, again, the Mavs end up winning pretty comfortably, but the only downside was it did mean Luka had to play like 40-something, Kyrie played like 36-something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of minutes. But, you know, there was no Dante, and, you know, they traded a couple guys. Yeah, and I mean, anytime you lose the rebounding battle, it's tough. It's a tough, uh, you know, uphill battle. They, mm. they won the game despite losing the rebounding battle, so that was tough for them. Mm. Um, Josh's dunk, the breakaway was dunk. was nice. Yeah. Almost an offensive foul, but also almost a defensive foul. It was a good no call. Uh, don't call that an offensive foul. Come on. It was a little off arm action. I feel like a cop would have called it an offensive foul. Uh, like a bat, like a like a you know like real just ref show behavior. Uh, one, you know, to your point that the the Knicks were shorthanded. They, they only played eight guys. The guys that played off the bench was Taj Gibson, Charlie Brown, not the TV show Charlie Brown, former and, Mav Charlie Brown, and, yeah, former Mav, and Jacob Toppin dunk contest jacob Toppin. uh make sure you tune in for that next made weekend. his first career field goal also isaiah hartenstein started the game very good player having a great season he also got hurt hold up that was jacob Toppin's first field goal yeah he's gonna be in the dunk contest he's never scored a point yeah his first point his first made field goal was a dunk put back dunk okay um they played hard dude you know the next gonna play hard well they had five points off the bench um total for the whole team, and Dallas had 32 points off the bench, just showing again, like, they were just so shorthanded. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dallas took care of business. They put them away, and uh, it's their third win in a row. And, uh, yeah, these guys are coming home to play a good OKC team uh, on Saturday. Early tip, 2 p.m. Uh, it's a unique spot. LV Lambo says, please get your own talking points. No one wants to hear you guys parrot mainstream media. Here's my talking points about the game against the Knicks. Wait, what? Uh, what, what do we... My my is what I said bad. I don't think so. Um, I can't but, talk about Luca. No, because that's mainstream. You got to talk about other guys. But okay. I think what is really important 
uh, about the Luca Kyrie duo, and this is something we talked about. We also stream uh, for those who are maybe this is your first time watching us. Uh, Isaac and I also stream pretty much every Wednesday yeah. around this time, like a lunchtime stream. And uh, in in this week's case, it was right after that Brooklyn game, and Kyrie came out of the gates really hunting for his own shot in that game. Um, and I feel like that has a very positive effect on the Mavs as a whole because obviously Luka usually comes out looking for his own shot too. So now you got this one-two punch right out of the gate instead of it being like the Luka show and then he goes out and then it's the Kyrie show and then it's the Luka show. Like it's good whenever both those guys are really aggressive. Um, I thought Kyrie didn't come out maybe as aggressive against the Knicks. It was a lot more Josh Green early uh, and and a lot of Luka as well. Um, but we saw the Knicks double-teaming Luka. Like, almost everybody now is double-teaming Luka, which is what I thought would not happen whenever Kyrie is on the floor. Mm. But the Nets were relentlessly doubling him. Um, the Knicks were, for the most part, relentlessly doubling him or at least blitzing him off pick and rolls, like really doing a lot to get the ball out of his hands. Um, and I just – I think that's a very perilous way to play whenever you're – whenever Kyrie is also on the floor because, like, he's incredible one-on-one. He's even better four-on-three. Um, and I feel like Josh has really taken a step forward in terms of his aggression and also just his confidence and his jump shot, but just confidence in general, putting the ball on the floor in those four-on-three situations too, which maybe means that he does continue to start. Uh, and I'm really curious to see how if, if PJ factors into that, if like he becomes a decision maker in those situations too, the guy that Luca hits on the short roll, yeah. maybe you put the ball in his hands. Um, he can do that. Yeah, but they just look... They look really, really well-oiled. I've also been very impressed with Derek Jones' aggression going to the rim. Yep. Uh, it looked like the last couple of games he was a little a little reticent because of the the wrist. Like It didn't seem like he really wanted to throw down. <coughs> well, but he scares last me night, because it's like a, he falls down and he like holds his like the whole arm that his wrist is like. And I'm like, should you be in a sling right now? Yeah, or? dude, it, it looks painful. It looks yeah. like he's hurting. But he's a gamer, and he scored 18 points last night and yeah. really looked confident more confident than he had in the previous few games. So their offense is just so fluid in these four-on-three situations now. And last year, it wasn't always the case. The decision-making was a little too slow last year, especially before the Kyrie trade. So I, I don't know how much longer that's going to be a viable defensive plan against mm. the Luka-Kyrie duo. I think whenever it's only Luka, maybe you can get away with it, but especially if it's Kyrie out there, dude. It's just you're really, really putting yourself in grave danger if you keep defending the way the teams have and when you add these new guys in they already have the roles kind of defined like there's gonna be zero issues with def- with bringing in daniel gafford okay you have the role defined Derek lively uh the dwight roll off the bench like you're asking the same things i think pj is the one that if you're if you had to pick one that you'd have to you might have to tweak a little bit or to get him into like a more defined role that that's the one you'll have to like tinker with a little bit because you want to play into his strengths also um, but you also have this like well oiled machine on offense too that you want him to fit uh within. So I think I'll be I'll be curious to see how they use PJ offensively and yeah, just some of that. Cause even last night hearing Jason Kidd, hearing Nico, just how they talked about PJ and like scoring was one of the first things things that they mentioned and a scoring punch and all that, wanting to add a scoring punch to the front court. I think it feels like that they're kind of seeing him as this like I want to say a third offensive thing, but like as a scoring punch. So will they run offense through him? Will they put him in the corner? Like Luke, I, I'm just, I'm curious. It depends on how teams guard him. Cause we're seeing a lot more teams put their big on Jones. Mm. 
and when that's the case, the Mavs are usually using Jones as the screener more than like Lively or Powell or Maxi or whatever. Yeah. Um, so if they're putting their big, if PJ is starting and they're putting their big on PJ, maybe because they don't respect his jump shot or whatever, or they they want to be able to switch the Luca Lively pick and roll. Then PJ will have to be in those playmaking situations, or you stick him in the weak side corner. Yeah. And I think that could be a pretty good spot for him too, because then if it's Josh as the decision maker or the Kyrie as the decision maker or even Lively. PJ's getting that cutting lane from the weak side corner, yeah. and he's big bundle of energy. Yeah, in that go, yeah, down. going to the rim. So, uh, in the way that same way that Jones can be. Now Jones probably jump higher than just about anybody on earth. Yeah, uh, but PJ can at least do a pretty good impersonation of that. Yeah. So, uh, so there's some some good X's and O's talk. Um, as far as the introductory press conference, um, I have not heard anything about that. I know that our content team is planning on doing some uh, some sit-downs with them here at some point, hopefully very soon. But as far as a formal introductory presser, I'm not sure. Just given the the quick turnaround and the nature of this whole thing, the Mavs completing the trades last night, I'm sure those guys are going to join the team and go through their physicals today, and then there will be a game tomorrow. So the, I'm, they'll probably do some sort of media availability maybe after the game tomorrow. No. Um, but especially with it being a 2 p.m. game, time is really kind of of the essence. So I'm not sure, but uh, any content that we have with them will be uh, will be promoted bigly by uh, yours truly and our all of our social channels. Um, oh, Cat's giving us the playoff music. So, um, <laughs> all right. So we, we appreciate all y'all watching. Hey, we had uh, we had more than more than 250 people hanging out with us live here in Studio 41, Party. the first ever live corner three. Um, it was a lot of fun. Austin, we missed you. Yeah, we missed we missed you, Austin. Austin should be back with us. Uh, we're not going to be doing a show next week because it's All-Star break. Uh, but we will be doing a show the following week. Now, uh, will we stream or not? I guess you'll have to follow Isaac on Twitter at Isaac L. Harris to find out. Also, follow the studio at Mavs Studio 41 on Twitter to find out as well. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate you. Uh, for Cat and for Chopper off cam. Hey, appreciate y'all. For Isaac on cam, I'm Bobby. And for my Mian Shao and Don fan lovers everywhere, hey, I want you to tell the world, we up. <laughs>